Welcome. I am Aaron Giesbrecht, head QB trainer and owner of Big Air Academy, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And you are tuned in to my podcast called Talking QBs with Coach Gies, a podcast dedicated to the Canadian quarterback and offensive football. Today on our fifth episode, we're crossing borders with head coach of Beaumont High School, hailing from Southern California in Riverside County, Coach Jeff Steinberg. How you doing, Coach? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Over the years, there's been a number of excellent Cali quarterbacks that, you know, currently or and before have played in the NFL and major college teams. A couple guys that come to the top of my head are obviously Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, um, Matt Barkley, Mark Sanchez, you know, the list goes on and on. I'm really interested in the years that you've been in California coaching football. Who are some of the more prevalent QBs that you've had the chance to work with? Um, well, I'll go with guys that I, that I've actually seen first, which really like got me like thinking in, in terms of just the, the dynamite quarterbacks that were coming out of here. Um, my very first uh, few years, I would go any chance that I got and watch hard high school play. If they played on a Thursday or um, those first few years when we got knocked out of the playoffs, I'd go watch them. And I saw Kyle, Kyle, um, baller um when he was with hard high school who was in the nfl for for quite a while um after him uh matt moore another hard quarterback and they had this like pipeline going so i was kind of tuning into some of the stuff that they were obviously doing some some really good things um with their quarterbacks mm-hmm. and uh some other guys sing sing mark sanchez play when he was at mission vao um matt barkley uh, when he played and, and I, you know, long list of, of really good quarterbacks that, that went to the league. But the amazing thing is like you find quarterbacks at all levels uh, here in California. And I've had a chance to have some, some of our own um, had um, Karsten Sween when I was at Burroughs who, uh, who led the state his senior year throwing for over 4,000 yards, went to Wyoming um, when I went to uh, San, uh, Santiago High School, I had Brandon Kinnett, who uh, went to play at Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, Blake, Blake Barnett, who started off at Alabama and finished mm-hmm. off at South Florida. Um, and then when I was at A.B. Miller, we had a couple uh, guys that were unbelievable quarterbacks. They just didn't fit that mold of, you know, the FBS 6-3. And, and um, let's see... Uh, uh, AJ Springer went to Saul Ross and actually that's a division three school. He actually led the country his senior year in, uh, in total offense. And Juan Flores was a another undersized quarterback that played for me at AB Miller that went on to uh, Cornell college in Iowa, another division three school okay. and had a dynamite dynamite career there. Um, when I went to uh, Rancho Verde, we had uh, EJ Stewart, um, who went on to play, and he was at Mid- he's at Midland University right now, and then uh, getting over to uh, to Beaumont. Um, my first few two my first few two years, we were able to place our quarterbacks um, at at colleges as well. Devin Dillard at Whitworth, and uh, Eddie McCullough at uh, College of Wooster in Iowa. So okay. uh, I think that the one thing that's jumped out is if 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 you've got football in the brain and you've got a skill set and you work hard, there's going to be a place for you to play after high school. Right. I, I recall uh, Blake Barnett when he was uh, 
when he was training for the Nike Elite 11. So I remember kind of watching that and then seeing him go to Alabama. And like you said, he transferred to, uh, you say South Florida, is that right? South Florida, yeah. He yeah. wound up in South Florida. Yeah, that's pretty cool that you're able to work with a guy like that. Um, you know, Coach, for about four years now, I've been running my uh, my quarterback academy here in Winnipeg, Big Air Academy. And, uh, you know, initially I started off and it was just quarterbacks. And it was really kind of, you know, QB-centric. And that was kind of the idea. Uh, over time, we've developed a little bit. We have some receivers and running backs that train with us as well. Uh, it, our program is more geared to the quarterback, but uh, but we provide the other training for the other guys as well. Um, I know that there, there's a big business, you know, where you're from in that sort of line of work. There's a couple of guys, QB trainers specifically, that I follow that are from Cali. I think of Jordan Palmer and Steve Clarkson and a couple of guys that kind of pop in my head. Um I'm just interested in, in your approach as a high school coach. Do your players, do your quarterbacks attend uh, private coaching or group coaching on the side? And, and kind of how do you feel about that? So I I do think there's a need for it. Um, and it's a, it's a position where there's a lot of development involved, um, uh, cerebral stuff and the physical part too. Uh, so I, I actually run my own um, quarterback academy during the off season. And it's open to not only my quarterbacks, but, but guys that play in other programs. And, and my, the best thing is getting the youth guys in because now you've got them for a number of years uh, right. to be able to work with them rather than just fixing little issues here and there. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always believed that uh, if any of our guys, which at various times, some of them did go train with other guys, totally fine. Um, I'd like to know stuff they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's something that helps them. Um, sometimes I've had kids ask me, hey, I'm considering going to working with certain guys and I'll give them feedback on it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I think they're better able to maybe save some money right. and not go, I'll let them know as well. But uh, but I think we kind of live uh, in an age where people want to get some extra work uh, during the off season and the quarterback, there's just so much involved in training a guy and, and getting a guy ready for the season that um, he, there's work that whether, whether you're going with a personal coach off on the side or you're getting extra work with your own coach, cause he can do that stuff in the off season. I think that it's something that it's, it's a, it's required nowadays. I'd have to agree with you. I think it's super valuable to just get in those extra reps and, and also the, the different point of view from different coaches, I think is valuable, right? I think sometimes, you know, some programs maybe want to keep their stuff in house and, and I understand that philosophy. Um, but I do think that players, you know, they develop more when they have different coaches, more coaches, more opportunities. You know, there may be something that, you know, me and you are both teaching very similar, but the way you say it to that player connects or exactly. vice versa, right? So. And and, uh, and you actually hit a really good point there is like sometimes it's just great to get another perspective or mm-hmm. rather than listening to the same voice with the same inflections and the same style for 12 months a year, you could kind of venture out right. and uh, and get a different perspective and maybe a different way of coaching, which will only help you uh, down the road. And I think that the I think the good coaches don't feel threatened when somebody goes and mm-hmm. because if if you do if you're a good coach your players are going to know you're a good coach right. so there's no need to worry about your kid going off somewhere else because they're going to come back and they're they're going to be smart enough to know um if somebody's just feeding them a bunch of 
a bunch of smoke and mirrors versus a guy that's got solid stuff that he's helping him with. Back at it for the second quarter with Coach Steinberg. Coach, the other day I, I saw a tweet that said that uh, I knew you were a Winnipeg guy, but I saw that you uh, the tweet referenced that you're a Grant Park alumnus. So I'm kind of interested. Uh, we were talking the other day. You had mentioned as a youngster you grew up in, in Garden City of Winnipeg, and then uh, in, in your grade 11 year you ended up moving to River Heights and, and playing for Grant Park. So can you kind of pick it up from there and, t- and tell us about uh, you know your football playing days? Yeah, so actually um, – the route is like North Winnipeg nomads. And um, we lived in Garden City and all at the time, I think Maples had just started very excited. I wanted to go play for Maples with all my buddies. And uh, because it was all all North Winnipeg nomads at the time we're playing for Maples. And so uh, wound up actually living with my mom in River Heights. So there was going to be a switch of schools and it was never like being upset. It was just, that's how it was. So I was going to switch schools and I was going to go play for Grant Park. Okay. And uh, I played for Tim Raxter uh, as an 11th grader. And then as a 12th grader, coach Gustafson came in. Okay. That was his first year coming over from Churchill high school. Right. And we were really excited getting a Churchill coach because they were just a powerhouse back then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Gus was, uh, was our, our head coach, my, uh, my 12th grade year and great memories, great memories. And, and, uh, I think just as much as the football memories, those, those, I, I was really fortunate through my youth, like nomads and high school to have great coaches that cared about me as a person. And I got on the wrong side of a lot of things and be, football kept pulling me back to okay. stay, you know, stay, be smart and do the right things. And, and, and those were coaches that were really patient with me and took the time to mentor me. And, and I think that kind of left an impact on me about, you know, it came back later about, you know, the importance of the game and why we coach and, and, and those early years, I think really had a large part in that. And then from there, um, I had aspirations of going away for college and, and sent letters out to all the different schools and had had mail back and sent out film. And I guess as it got closer, I just thought that the smartest thing for me to do would be play where I'm most familiar with, where my family's going to stay local. So I wound up um, deciding to go to University of Manitoba. I played there two years. I was a knucklehead um, in the classroom and probably around around uh, school. And uh, it was it was not a great football experience. I think probably more because of myself than anything else. Um, Just how I was, and I just needed to grow up. Mm -hmm. And so the uh, the same Fatel Mustangs were just going to be a great way for me to maybe mature a little bit while I continued school and played for uh, uh, Rod Althway, um in uh, 86, 87. Stu Heaton was our quarterback coach and offensive coordinator. So now here's wow. another another coach that's having a huge impact on me right. and being a great mentor and now really teaching like you're spoiled if, if you have Stu. And so I, I was pretty spoiled in terms of learning the game and we had great talent. 
great talent. And then uh, after I was done there in my second year, we lost in the national championship to the Regina Rams. It's a great game. And it was now going to be a transition for me to find a school to play at. So I actually had quite a few schools around around Canada that that I was considering Mm -hmm. and narrowed it down to two was going to be Queens or University of Alberta. So here's a person that at one point was not very academic. Yeah. It was not a big part. And those were two very academic schools, which um, which showed you how I was I was uh, growing academically. And probably settling down, so decided on University of Alberta. Mm-hmm. Again, I think because of the proximity, a little easier. It was in the Canada West, so my parents were going to have a chance to watch me play a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, wound up wound up finishing off my um, university career there, which was awesome. Had a great experience, made great friends. It was great for me to live away from home and and grow up. And uh, and then right when I finished playing, I had an opportunity to start coaching right away. Okay. Uh, with the Huskies, okay. Brent Pope, Brent Pope, who was our offensive line coach at at the University of Alberta, became the head coach of the Huskies, right. and I had an opportunity to come on and uh, and coach quarterback. So I was there for a year um, as I was finishing up school, and then wound up moving back to uh, to Winnipeg. Okay, you know it's kind of interesting. There's a lot of connections there that we both have together. Uh, I grew up playing football with uh, Ron Gustafson's son Eric. When we were youngsters growing up through the Charles of Broncos, and uh, he then went on to St. Paul's. I played at Oak Park, so we played against each other. He uh, he beat me in a championship game and, and, and rubbed it in my face. So that was nice, <laughs> that was nice of him. Um, and then we were teammates again uh, for the Rifles later on. So, uh, yeah, I, that's pretty cool. Also, you know, obviously Stu Heaton is somebody that I've just recently worked with and got to know really well. What a phenomenal football mind that guy has. When you came back to Winnipeg, what happened for coaching at that point? So it was very interesting. I, I got a job right away at um, at a uh, elementary school. Okay. And I had a it was a half time term position. So on the on the days that I wasn't at the school, I was subbing, and I wound up subbing at Churchill one day, and and you know Coach Dobie didn't know I was back, and then when you know he, he was excited that I was back, and he said I'm gonna I'm gonna help you get a job here. Okay. So I wound up getting a job the second half of the school year at Churchill High School, okay. and uh, and I was going to coach. I was going to coach at Churchill under under Brian. So now here's another incredible coach that I get ex- that I get you know to work under and learn from. And so again, I I along the ways, I was very fortunate to play in some very good programs for unbelievable coaches who knew the game, but more importantly than the game knew how to work with people and develop young men and, and, and help them grow. And, and Brian would be at the top of that list. And so I had a term position. So I was there the second half of the school year. And then on the last day, um, the basketball coach puts in for a, um, he's going to transfer to uh, Sisler high school. Okay. And Brian sells because Brian's probably the best salesman in the world. <laughs> no so Brian Brian sells it to the principal that I've been there all year. Like there's no need to interview anybody else for the job. Jeff should be slipping into the position. Wow. So because of his influence, I, I wind up getting getting hired full time at Churchill High School. So I, I worked for him there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I coached running backs. Kelsey McKay. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable coach. Good friend. 
was the offensive coordinator there. Great staff. Um, Yusuf Hawash was was the offensive line coach, mm-hmm. who's still still a big still time there, coach yeah. in Winnipeg and coaching with Churchill. Yeah, and uh, we had a great staff. I wound up uh, coaching junior football one year uh, for Rod Althwaite, who was back. Uh, coached uh, for the Hawkeyes. Okay. Uh, I I worked there. Um, Bobby Dice was on staff too. Mm-hmm. And following that year, both Bobby and I wound up at a. Uh, at the University of Manitoba, um, coaching um, under Brian when he took the job. Okay, wow, that's quite the uh, well, lots of lots of football. <laughs> yeah, lots of football. That's great. Again, lots of connections there. Both my uh, both my daughters go to Churchill High School, so that's pretty cool that uh, you were a staff and coach there. Um, so you know, then you make a big change, right? You uh, you know, you're you're sending you're talking about sending out resumes and, and that really intrigues me, coach, that whole process of kind of going from Canada to the States. What what was that experience like? Um, you know, it's funny because you had you had said something about like, you know, that's crazy because you know, a lot of people wouldn't do that. And I, I yeah. we we never we never considered that. We just looked at it both Jocelyn and I as like, hey, this is gonna be an unbelievable opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um to go somewhere else. Obviously, I think where it takes guts is when you have a full family, when it's just you, your wife and a dog, like mm-hmm. we, we didn't even think of it as any risk or anything. We looked at it, this is going to be an, an awesome opportunity. And uh, so, so I wound up interviewing um, at a, uh, a smaller high school, like by California standards, they had 1400 students in the mm-hmm. high school. Um, at the time when I started there it grew, but um, it was an area where there wasn't a lot of high expectations for football. They did want, they, they did want to improve. So the support was there from the administration, mm-hmm. but they, they just, unfortunately for a variety of diff, different reasons, hadn't had that success that everybody looks for. And uh, okay. so I think that it was, it was really a perfect storm. It was un, uh, a principal who actually had a vision. It was, it was great support from the administration. It was a young head coach at the time and myself who had time to spend um, on the football program and also just humble enough. Maybe I was humble enough um, early on to, to understand that there was a lot to learn. So I was a sponge. I was, it was every day was clinic time for me. Okay. And I, you know, there was no egos involved. We would go to clinics. We would, we would meet with coaches and we'd go visit schools. And so the first three years, our staff, we were out and about. And the great, the, when I say the perfect storm, the other part is they hired coaches from, they brought in coaches from other states. Um, okay. Kind of like my, my wife and, and myself in that they didn't have kids. So we had a very young staff. We'd hang out every weekend. We'd go clinic during the off season. We grew, so they gave us an opportunity to grow. And by the third year, we started to really hit our stride. And I'd say, like our fourth through eighth year, we became a you know a, a top program, and uh, wound up turning some players out at different levels and doing some neat things that people weren't doing back then. And mm-hmm. and you know, opportunities usually lead to other ones. Yeah, that's that's quite the story, Coach. I like how you touched upon, you know, the constant, you know, grind of getting better and continuing to work, right? That's 
something that I pride myself on. I'm always kind of trying to find new videos on quarterback, you know, technique and drills and whatever. And I think that's that's how we grow, right, is by uh, experiencing that. And it sounds pretty cool. I guess, you know, I'm thinking that that difference of culture between football and Canada. Now, I know you were with the U of M, so you were kind of at a high level of football you know, previous to, to going to the States, but I would just think in terms of maybe comparing high school football here to when you went to California originally, that there there must have been, you know, a difference in culture and, and maybe seriousness and, and just overall attitude. Can you kind of speak on that? Yeah, so, so you know, when people ask, I, I say that maybe if, if I'm going to compare compare it it may be like the amateur hockey scene mm-hmm. um i know things have obviously changed because i i think the football in winnipeg is unbelievable the level it's at it was nothing like sure. that when when um when we left in in 1998 which was some time ago mm-hmm. but um you know there you get to have a staff there's a chance that you know if you're in a good program the staff's going to be at the school um they're paid positions Right. People are paying to come into the games, so there's going to be a, when you know when you have that, there's going to be a little bit of an expectation. But mm-hmm. the funny story is, um, you know, when I took over there, they had been three through three coaches in in five years. So obviously, you know, there's not a lot of stability, and um, and we had we had a really good turnout our first games. So our first game, we were pretty overmatched, but okay. we threw the ball we threw the ball 57 times. Wow. Quarterback threw for over 300 yards. We lost the game, okay. and uh, it was it was still pretty exciting game. But when I got to school on Monday, mm-hmm. the fans or the teachers that went to the game, I had a lot of flack from the teachers because so it was two things. People were excited; they said things looked promising. But the teachers were very upset because of all the passes we threw made the game longer. And they didn't get home till 11 that night. (laughs) So, so, um, so we, uh, we quickly changed the culture and, you know, we continued to throw the ball and people came to really appreciate that. (laughs) That's too funny. Back at it for the third quarter with coach Steinberg coach. The other day we had a great chat about uh, some no huddle stuff. I'm a no huddle guy. I won't get into the details because I think both of us kind of would like to keep that maybe secretive a little bit, but uh, there was some great insight there. Um, you know, you've been running the no huddle offense for a long time now. I'm interested in just philosophically kind of why you went to the no huddle originally and kind of what was the thought process behind that? Well, okay. So when I played for the St. Fatale Mustangs and we were in the national championship against the Rams, Stu, uh, Stu Heaton, our, our offensive coordinator, told us to go not, no huddle in the second half just to get stuff going, you know, okay. and um, more like pick, let's pick up the pace and, and go more of a two-minute mode. And uh, as a quarterback, I loved it because it seemed to simplify what the defense was doing. Mm-hmm. And so that was my first, uh, my first go around with it or, or first experience and in, in actually being involved in, in the no huddle. And then it had, it had left a, a big impression on me and something that I kind of carried in my philosophy um, from those playing days in terms of something that like I always loved when we were in the two, two minute offense, no huddle. Um, I felt like as a quarterback, I wasn't constricted, it constricted and that, things were actually we were controlling things more okay. and so so that played a huge role 
in my philosophy as a coach in terms of attacking defenses. So uh, 98, when I, when I took over at Burroughs High School, we dabbled in it a little bit our first year, and then we just committed fully to it um, in 99 up all the way till now. And I know that it's evolved in terms of what people are doing with the no huddle, which is really cool. Right. Um, but, you know, I think our initial, our initial thoughts were uh, it's going to take the defense out of their comfort zone mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're going to be playing a lot faster or give the illusion that we are. So it's going to take things out of the defensive coordinator's hands and certainly be tougher on, on a, you know, that 16, 17, 18 year old on right. the, on the other side of the field. It's going to be a little harder on him too mm-hmm. mentally. I and mean, obviously physically you're getting more plays in. So it kind of extends the game and takes you into a different energy system, right. which I think a lot of teams don't train in when they're getting ready for games and and then offensively as a play caller i i always saw it as something that just a lot easier to call plays and we can simplify what we do because we're adding this element to our offense and and then especially back then people like we didn't see a lot of two safety looks it was either going to be you know single safety single safety cover three or they were going to probably play some sort of man Mm -hmm. and so it really simplified what we saw on the other side of the ball as well. You know, I, I like when you talked about, you know, um, you know, calling your plays essentially against the kids, right? Like I heard, a, I heard a good quote from a coach a couple of years ago when he was talking exactly about that was that like, as a coordinator, as a coach, you're not really coaching in the game against that other coach necessarily. I mean, you kind of are, but you're coaching against the kids on the field, right? So I like that mentality because I think if you can go fast, if you can keep things simple for yourself, and that defensive player is doing a lot of thinking on the field, that's that's advantage us, right? Like, yes. So I, I totally, totally agree with that. I totally agree. Now you you said something else to me the other day in terms of just again a philosophical approach. You know, less is more. What's uh, what do you really mean by that? Well, we we go. You know, coaches want to get better and develop so we go to clinics in the off season and we watch videos and we we get really enamored with all the different schemes and even when we watch you know coaches generally will watch a college or a pro game on the weekend and have their their notepad and pen sitting by their side and and we start taking things and then what happens is we get this unbelievable amount of it's it's plays is what it is it's not a system and what may fit into somebody else's system won't necessarily fit into yours um and so i always think that okay like these are concepts that we feel are going to help us out and match with the type of talent that we have Mm -hmm. um let's take that and let's think of different ways that we can use a concept and dress it up rather than adding new plays. So we try to actually every year I'm looking to streamline the playbook. Okay. What can go, what, 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 what are the things that, and it's actually not so much of what do we want to get rid of? It's like, okay, what can we not live without? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it starts is focus on those things that are just so important to what you're doing that you can't live without them. Also, almost like, um, like uh, an essentialism um, mindset. And so that's kind of where we are. And then I always am open to our coaches bringing ideas in during the off season, but I all, I let them know it's, it's got to fit in with what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a chance that if we bring that in, we're going to get rid of at least one or two other things. And 
is that something that's similar to what we're doing? And if it is, how is it better than what we're already doing? So I put that not so that they won't bring their ideas, right. but they already know like the way it's going to work when we sit down and we work through things. So it's, 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 it's not to run guys off. It's to really get them thinking rather than just going, hey, I saw a play when I watched this game on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it because I think as coaches sometimes we're we're looking at the film and I, and I feel like sometimes we do a job where – we're almost over analyzing things and, you know, look, creating more things, adding this play because that team ran it and it was successful in the game before. The problem is when you go to play that team the next week, they're not playing the team from before they're playing you. So uh, I'm, I'm with you on the fact that, you know, keeping things, you know, within your system and there's probably elements of uh, new ideas that you probably already sort of already do, or maybe there's a way that you can add that in uh, without changing, you know, the blocking scheme or, adding new assignments in for your guys, right? So I really like uh, I really like that comment, Coach. Um, in terms of your quarterbacks within the no huddle, are there certain things that you stress specifically that are different than maybe a traditional huddle quarterback? Yes, yeah, so, so, and it all goes back to the quarterback academy stuff. So obviously, like, they have to be, aside from the skill set, mm-hmm. they have to be cerebral, and they have to, you know, our quarterbacks have to have an understanding of what they're going to see on the other side of the ball in terms of coverages and fronts. And then on, they have to have an understanding of how to attack those fronts and coverages. And so we have a whole system that we take them through in the off season to get them to that point, because, you know, I always tell them, okay, like it's one thing for me to call plays, mm-hmm. but you have to understand why we've called a certain play and what we're trying to get to. Right. What's the philosophy of that particular play that we're calling? Mm-hmm. So it's great when the quarterbacks are on the same page and they get they get to the point where they're thinking and they could bring ideas into the meeting of stuff that we're already doing or maybe dressing it up in different ways. So the cerebral part's huge. I think the leadership part is is something that even gets magnified more in a no huddle because they have to be able to manage all the personnel mm-hmm. um, from you know, just standing over the ball and and understanding the dynamics of different players on the offense and how they figure in and how to use how to use our uh, ten other guys on offense as as weapons to our advantage, and so so that's a big point. And then obviously the physical skills playing in gun, it's an advantage if your quarterback's a run threat. Right. But we've had guys that haven't been as much of run threat, so probably looking for players that are somewhat athletic or have a certain skill set mm-hmm. there in place. Like that would probably, there, there would probably not that there's a ceiling on that, but there's a floor. Like you got to come in with yeah. this, just kind of like, you know, if you're going to play quarterback in an offense that throws the ball, well, okay, the floor needs to be, you need to be able to get the ball out right. um, and, and be accurate and throw the ball down the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, because we're doing a lot of stuff um, on the move or RPO, the quarterbacks have to have the ability to throw out of a, off a variety of platform. Um, So, um, so, you know, I guess to, to kind of sum it up is leaders, guys who understand the game, they've got football on their brain and they're, they're somewhat efficient with the football. Like they're natural at just kind of throwing it a variety of different ways. Yeah, I, I like what you talked about there, Coach. In terms of your athletes on your team, not just the quarterbacks, but uh, do you have a preference with, you know, there, there's a, always the talk about, you know, the, the athlete that's focused just on his one sport. 
comparatively to the athlete that plays multiple sports. How, how do you feel about that? I, I'll be honest. I really love the high school athlete that is very good in other sports. Mm-hmm. I, I, I see it as a huge advantage. And when you, when you watch the guys um, that are recruiting, yeah. um, they, they see it as, as something that's an advantage too for, for guys that now I'm not talking about just going, Hey, I want to go try out for the basketball team, but right. I'm talking about guys that are actually good in other sports mm-hmm. and are guys that are, on the court, they're the guys that are competing in the hundred. They're the guys that you know they could they they're gonna they're gonna get points for your team in a wrestling match. Um, we really believe in allowing our kids to play other sports with with the with the this of year round. You're going to be involved in training, and you're going to be involved in our off season strength program. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, now it may look a little different versus the kid who's just playing football year round. They're going to be with us in the weight room all those days, and they just have more time to work on stuff. Yeah. But I think there's an there there's a huge advantage to playing another sport, get exposed to other coaching again, and and skill development, there's skills that could be developed in other sports as well. And and I'll, maybe I'll I'll just add one more thing as. Sure. I've had guys that play football that football wasn't their number one sport. Mm-hmm. Football was their second sport. And if they're gonna if they're gonna help our team, why would I run that why would I run that player off simply because his top sport is basketball and he's playing football as a off season sport? Right. You know, I, I think that you're right in terms of like, you know, playing the other sports, there's valuable experience and like lessons learned I, I think back to uh in high school i was i played basketball as well i was an average basketball player but uh after high school i played senior men's with with a group of guys that didn't play at my high school they played at john taylor and um they ran a completely different offense so in high school the offense that i ran under uh legendary coach randy cassano was was an offense that was kind of predicated on the center so the offense sort of worked through me sort of when i was in high school and, uh, you know, being a quarterback and having good vision, I'm a big guy. It worked well for me. Um, again, I was nothing special. But uh, when I went on to play senior men's and play with this different group of guys, they were playing almost like how, you know, the Golden State Warriors play now. They were running, gun, and shooting threes all over the place. And it took me a while to kind of like, it, initially, I was kind of like, why don't they ever pass me the ball? Like, I can help you, you know, like kind of deal. But it took a couple seasons of playing with these guys to kind of realize that, my role on that team was to play defense and run hard up and down the floor. And once I kind of like clued into that, I became a much better player for that team. But it also kind of opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, self-awareness and and being a, a role player isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Like you, if you bring a certain skill, you know, with whatever game you're playing, I think that, uh, you know, if you're aware that that's your skill and that's your job and you just embrace that, uh, I think that's awesome. And I think that can be learned through playing other sports. I, I totally agree with you. And, and then, the, you know, the other point that you hit on is is part of being successful is understanding and accepting what your role is on that team or in, on the offense or whatever. Okay, back at it for the fourth quarter with Coach Steinberg. So, Coach, you've been a head coach for a number of years now. I'm wondering about uh, some of your favorite moments that you've experienced. Can you speak on that? 
Lot, well, there's lots. Um, I can't think of specific moments, probably more memories of, of different teams, different players. Um, you know, I think that some of, some of the greatest seasons have been maybe where we didn't have as much talent. So I'm thinking my fourth year at Burroughs High School, uh, where uh, that group of kids right from their freshman year, just an unbelievable hardworking group of guys. We wound up going 10 and two that year and losing to the eventual team who, who won the championship. Okay. And I think that those guys, those guys got more, I got more out of those guys. Um, and with what talent that they had, than I think than ever at any other place. And uh, they were just, just fun. We just had a lot of fun. They were good kids. And I think also that, you know, it's funny because if, if I look back to maybe the two years where we've won championships, those weren't teams that I thought would necessarily have the talent at the beginning of the year. But what they had was they had the drive, they great work ethic. They were extremely coachable and they had growth mindset. So any early season losses, they tended to learn a lot from from those losses and apply them and, and then, you know, obviously go on go on a run as we hit the playoffs. But I think that the big, the greatest part of the coaching are when players come back, or or you see how how former players are doing as as husbands, as dads, and what they're doing um, with their careers. And I again, it just brings us back to that. Like that's why we're coaching. Right. I think that's so important. Is the relationships we make is, is the most important things. The wins and losses they'll come, and we all want to win games as much as we can, but. Uh, at the end of the day, you're totally right that it's the relationships you build. Now, how about in terms of your career? You've you've been coaching, you've been a head coach for a number of years now. How have you grown over the years as a head coach? Maybe just uh, being a little more adaptable um, and, and having uh, maybe a little more empathy and understanding of that, you know, people come from different backgrounds, kids have different needs, and uh, and that there's not really a cookie cutter way to um, to help uh, all of them grow. Like it, it it really depends on every situation's unique. And uh, and I think like maybe early on in my career, trying to use a uh, hurry up, hurry up, no no huddle style of way of working with people right. and the challenges that they have, and 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 gaining an understanding that. Um, that it's a little slower. You got to slow down a little bit and there's things that need to develop over the course of time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, now coach, you've got something exciting happening, you know, right down the pipeline, you're running a, a head coaches clinic coming up. Can you tell, uh, can you tell my audience a little bit about that and some of the presenters you have? Yeah. So, so we have a upcoming, um, coaches clinic on January 23rd, 24th, called the Head Coaches Academy. It's not just for head coaches. And as a matter of fact, we've had coaches of other sports that have signed up as well. And uh, I would say it's really for anybody that's, whether you're a head coach or aspiring to head coach, or you just want to help make your program better, Mm -hmm. this will be the place for you because there's so many great clinics during the off season that cover X's and O's. There's just not a lot of stuff out there that would help with program success, development, developing your programs, organizing your programs, how you work with your staff, um, and and we'll cover different things. Uh, there's going to be 12 different sessions. 
okay. from seven presenters. Uh, one of our one of our top presenters will be Rick Jones, who's the senior assistant to the head coach at the University of Missouri. Okay. And Rick is a Rick's a high school coach. He uh, he was at Greenwood High School in Arkansas, where he won eight state championships. Wow. Um, yeah, just an unbelievable coach. We'll have uh, Masaki Matsumoto who's a head coach uh, out in Tacoma, Washington at Lincoln High School, who used to be uh, in uh, Los Angeles coaching. And he's coached at some of the toughest places to coach at and has been very successful. Uh, We'll have Kenny Simpson from Searcy High School in Arkansas. And uh, and, uh, those are a few of the coaches speaking. And then headlining and kicking the clinic off will be Chip Kelly, head coach at UCLA, who I'm always excited to to hear him, uh, him speak. Wow, Coach, what a list of presenters that is. That should be a great uh, great clinic for people to attend. So, Coach, unfortunately, we're at the end of the show, and uh, I want to thank you again for coming on. I, I love your story, a Winnipeg guy that, uh, that made it big and is, is coaching big-time high school football in California. Uh, thanks again for your time, Coach. I really appreciate it and look forward to uh, talking the next time. Thanks again. Take care.